be a strange thing to sing about blood if we weren't sinners. <laughs> Next Sunday morning, we'll begin a seven-week series that will take us up to Easter, God willing, looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. We'll look at one of those each week, Jesus in His own words. And in preparing for that, uh, another story from the Gospel of John caught my attention, and I think, I hope, will prime us, if, if you will, for that series. No one is more capable of telling us who Jesus is than Jesus Himself. There's never been anyone in history like Jesus. Most of us are probably familiar with the stories and events of His life, but sometimes familiarity makes it hard for us to remember how amazing these moments truly are. So it will always do us good to revisit these moments as often as we can. There are moments in the life of Jesus that, for lack of a better word, just scream to us. You know, it's just like there are these little mo- Every moment is amazing and, and crucial. And, and, but then there are some where they just seem to scream to us how loving He is, how full of mercy He really is. And this is one of those moments this morning where we just have to cover our mouths in awe, I think. There's some, um, some textual debate over this passage, John 7.53 through 8.11. You may even have a footnote or it may be in brackets in your Bible, may be set off separately. Some of you, depending on which translation you use, may not even have it in your translation. That would be rare, though. But uh, some, it doesn't appear that the story was in the original manuscripts of John, so it was something that was added in later. Some manuscripts had it in John, but had it in different places in John. So there's some debate over its place. But when you see little things like that, don't let those kinds of things shake your confidence in Scripture. There, there's a whole lot we could say here, but I think it's sufficient for the moment to say that the variations like this that, that exist in the New Testament text are not the kind that would change any Christian doctrine. There are debates on where things are or uh, details, things like that, little things of that nature, but no material question of historic fact or of Christian faith and practice are among those variants that we see, which means God ordered even the composition of His Word in such a way that the uncertainties that would come about from a book being written over such a long amount of time by so many different authors do not alter any doctrine of our faith. That's amazing. That's amazing. The message and content of the story that we're going to read this morning are perfectly in line with all the rest of Scripture. The story exalts Jesus. It affirms His superiority over the law. And it affirms with the rest of the Bible that only Jesus Christ can forgive sins. Only Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And what Jesus reveals in this text about Himself for our souls is amazing. And if we will listen this morning, our hearts will burn. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we read from John chapter 7 beginning at verse 53. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. 
Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Let's pray. Our Father, I'm asking you that those in need of salvation this morning, those in need of forgiveness, of mercy, of the burden of mounting guilt and overwhelming sin to be taken away from them, would hear Jesus speaking in this text. Please be with me today. Father, don't let me mess up this passage. There are believers and unbelievers in the room this morning. And we all need this passage, both need it probably way more than we realize. So make us realize it. Do what you do. I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So, it's a straight story. A woman is caught in adultery. She's brought to Jesus. And it's told to us very clearly to test him. Verses 4 and 5. It sounds pretty straightforward, teacher. This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This is a blatant attempt on their part to get Jesus to contradict the law. In Deuteronomy 22, 22, I believe in Leviticus 20, verse 10, uh, the law said, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. So immediately, we need to realize that something fishy is going on here. Where is the man? He's not there. And she was caught in the act. Adultery requires more than one person. Why isn't the man present? He's not there. So are these men actually committed to the law? Is that what they're concerned about here? the actual uh, veracity and reliability and, and, and holiness of the law. Is that what these men are concerned about? Are they so upset that this woman was sinning against God that that's why they brought her to Jesus? No, that is not why they have brought her to Jesus. That's a pretense. What they want is to get Jesus killed. That's what they're doing. They're self-righteous, murderous donkeys. That's the nicest way to put it. That's what they are. Verse 6 makes it clear. It makes it clear. They're using her 
and using the law to get rid of Jesus because he threatens their system of control that they're running through salvation by works. That's what legalism is. It's a way to keep control. And Jesus threatens control. Grace threatens control. And it's a devious plan. The Jews are under Roman occupation. They're allowed to govern themselves to a fairly significant degree, but they can't exercise the death penalty. The death penalty That has to be granted by the Roman leader in that region. That's why, for example, later on, that it's Pilate and not Caiaphas, the high priest, that had to actually sentence Jesus to death. They weren't allowed to do that. So if Jesus says, you know what, that is what the law says, and you guys are right, let's stone her, well, then they can go running to... Uh, they can go running to the Romans and say he was going to break your law. He's a rebel. You, you have to execute him. He's an insurrectionist. But if he says don't stone her, well then they can run back to the Sanhedrin, to their leaders and say this man is a heretic who denies the law of Moses. So Jesus is really in a pinch here. right? He's, he's backed into a corner. He's stuck. They've got him. No, it, it, it's Jesus. You, you, you never have got him. It's It's... And since he's trapped and has no escape, he does what anyone in that situation would do. He kneels down and starts writing in the dirt. (laughs) This passage actually fits perfectly with the immediate context in John here, that, that Jesus is opposed. It's what's going on around this, despite all the evidence that he should be embraced. Right? And, and that maybe the biggest reason Jesus is so hated is because he was so disarming to people who thought they were morally superior to others, who think they have it within to save themselves. And Jesus had very interestingly just preached in the last chapter not to judge him by appearances, but to judge with right judgment, which means we lack the ability to perceive him for who he is with just our eyes. And part of that is because of things like this, like this story. We, we don't know how to properly evaluate what we're about to see here. Nobody could have anticipated what Jesus is about to do. And to be honest, it doesn't matter if you know your Bible back to front or not. We are not built to accept what we see here. And we aren't built as interpreters to interpret it correctly, naturally, because we always think the Bible is about us. We think every text is about us and what we should do. And so we'll turn a beautiful story of grace into a duty we're supposed to keep. We do it every time we read the Bible. We just aren't built for these kinds of things. We aren't built for Jesus. I don't know what Jesus wrote in the dirt. It doesn't matter. The snarky side of me likes to think that maybe he was writing the names of all the women these jerks had slept with and committed adultery with. Because... Where is the man? Again, why didn't they bring him? Probably because he was a friend. Right? Now that's speculation, which is usually not good, but what's going on here? I mean, we, we know it's dirty. We know it's dirty. Men get away with this kind of stuff all the time. It's the woman that gets called the names. Right? This, this is what we do. How in the world did they know where to find her to catch her in the act? And it gets even worse. But Jesus can't be judged by appearances. He he doesn't act like we think he should act. That's what gives judging by appearances any power. Well, Jesus doesn't normally do that. We, We would have had as hard a time accepting Jesus as anyone in Israel did. 
That's why right after this, maybe, even as the sun was rising, Jesus could point at it and say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They'll go from blindness to sight because of me, because I illumine everything. So while he's writing, they keep badgering in verse 7. And Jesus stands up and says, let me picture it, let's be a little dramatic He dusts off his hands. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he bends down and continues riding on the ground. Beloved, she was sinning. And the penalty for adultery under the law was the execution of both people, although, here's this is interesting, stoning wasn't specified unless a man or woman was engaged but not yet married. Then the specific mode of execution under the law was stoning. So these men really thought this one out. Right? They really thought it out. But hey, they're quoting Scripture. So they have to be right. Right? They're, they're quoting the law. They have to be right. If you've got a Scripture, you can take the high ground. I mean, if, if this was happening today, you, you can hear the fundamentalist here saying, holding his rocks, hey, my Bible tells me you stone an adulteress. What are you, preacher? You a liberal? Right? You can hear it. Right? That, that's in the Bible. You don't like the Bible? So, end of story. Case closed. They've got the text. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, Jesus said. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Knowing texts does not make us right. Jesus Christ brings His weight to bear as Savior and King onto every verse of Scripture. Not to contradict it, but to explain it, interpret it, realize, and fulfill it. All things were made through Him and for Him, including the Bible, including the law. So Jesus does not break or void the law, but He does fulfill it, for He is superior to it. The question he asked them was so disarming and unexpected that even the scribes and the Pharisees are taken off guard here. They have nowhere to go with that one. So starting with the older ones, the ones who had been sinning longer, they left one by one. They didn't want to look like they thought they were morally superior. And now it's just the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Very God, a very God in human flesh, the creator of everything, the king who will return in power and glory to rule forever and ever. It's just him here and a woman who just a short time ago was ripped away from a man with whom she was in the act of adultery. The crowd may still be here, but now it's just her and him. And I wonder, 
if anyone in human history felt as unclean as this woman probably felt in that moment. Just imagine it. You've been dragged out of bed to the feet of the one that might be the Messiah. Imagine that. Just let it sit for a minute. How much farther apart can two people be than Jesus Christ and this poor woman? Can you imagine the utter shame that she felt? Can you imagine the fear and the panic, maybe, or what she felt like if maybe each man would have been holding a rock to hear them drop down and each one of them walk away to just be standing there? Stoning was brutal. Stoning was a horrible way to die. They didn't pelt you with little stones until eventually you died. They found the biggest rocks they could lift and they picked them up and crushed them down on you until you were dead. It was horrible. That's what was about to happen to her. And that's what the law said should happen to her. Is God not holy? This is what our sin deserves. Do you understand this? We all deserve this. Every single one of us. Me included. Let's be clear. She is, despite all the nonsense of it, she is guilty. And of all the sins to have committed and be brought directly to God for after having been caught in the act, oh, how our God hates adultery. Adultery is the label God gave to Israel's religious and relational idolatry throughout the Old Testament prophets. He hates it. It grates against His very nature. It crosses in a very unique and very horrible way His entire purpose for His covenant people. He hates it. And that's what she did. That's what she was doing. And she's every single one of us. overwhelmed by sin, right? Reeling in the throes of bad choices, helpless to fix ourselves, and at the mercy of a law. Who wants to be at the mercy of the law, especially if it comes from God? A law we can't follow, a righteousness we can't meet, a debt we cannot pay. But now it's quiet. And our Lord Jesus is still doodling in the dirt. So he stands up in verse 10 and he says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, Lord. Right. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through Him. We need to realize something this morning. It was when those men dropped their rocks and walked away that she was in the most danger. For now she's in the presence of one who had no sin. What's He going to do? You see it? The one who wrote the law that she should be stoned is standing there and she's guilty. She's guilty. 
Has no one condemned you? The law condemned her. The law condemned her. But she says, no one, Lord. Jesus saves the guilty from the just condemnation of God's holy law. The guilty. To the extent that it is personal and real. So that the only one who can condemn becomes the savior of the guilty. You understand what we're seeing in this story? The one that could have thrown stones until she was crushed to death, that could have meted out justice. That one, the only one that could have, according to Jesus' own standards, is the one who stepped in between her and what she deserved to show her mercy. And it's Jesus. He isn't perverting justice. He is justice. How can this be? She's guilty under God's law. She sinned against God. And God is protecting her. How is that not a miscarriage of justice? Oh, beloved, (laughs) when was the last time you went to the foot of the cross to stand in wonder and awe at what it really was that was happening there? God's wrath was poured out. The stones did get thrown. But they fell from heaven and they crushed Jesus instead of us. She deserved punishment. She deserved death. But Jesus would step in between her and the rocks at Calvary just like He stepped in between them for us at Calvary. The only thing anyone in this room deserves from God is damnation. We are sinners all. We are born enemies of God. We choose to rebel against Him in our sin and we shake our fists in His face every day. And the way God took care of it is not to make His wrath disappear. That's not how salvation works. This is why Jesus came, to do what He's doing here in this moment. By His own standard, His holiness requires justice for sin, but none of us are without sin, so even our offerings of goodness and our best efforts will never be able to soothe His wrath, ever. He came to stand in between rocks and justice for billions upon billions. But what we find is that it must also be, or what we find is that it must also be a part of holiness to show grace to sinners. (laughs) Grace to those who are helplessly condemned by God's own justice. Because God won't leave any red in the ledger. The rocks did fall, but by God's design, the holiness that required justice is the holiness that also extended grace. So what is happening at the cross for all who believe in Jesus is that He is covering us as the rocks fall so that they don't crush us. Instead, they crushed Him. That is the only means of salvation that God will accept His own. Jesus would become her sin so that she might become His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Jesus loved her. These are not the actions of a robot. He loved her. He had mercy on her when she was caught in the act. 
What would you do with a grace like that? And he did it for us at Calvary. If, if, if the one against whom we've sinned steps in and takes the punishment for us, our guilt really is washed away. Right? I mean, who can condemn us now? If the one against whom we've sinned no longer holds it over us, who can condemn us then? You don't need to be afraid of the devil. That would be like the ultimate pot calling the kettle black. Like He can't condemn you. Jesus won't condemn you now. He won't. And He's the one against whom we've sinned. So if God doesn't condemn us, who can? That's what it is to be saved. That's what it means to be saved. If God has dropped the charges against you, who can bring you to court? If Jesus Christ has died for you, who can condemn you? This is the argument Paul makes in Romans 8. Because of what Jesus did at the cross, we're invited to believe in the one who shielded us from certain death. That's salvation. Now, you might say that's all very nice, Tony, but hold on a minute. You're leaving out the most important part of the story. There's more to it than all this grace stuff you're talking about. There's the important part, right? Doggone it. There's verse 11. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. If you wanted to forget the rest of the Bible, you could read that as a warning. You could. But that would mean you'd have to read it as Jesus saving her from stoning today, but probably still going to crush her later. Because who actually goes and sins no more? Right? Who? You can't have your cake and eat it too here. You, you can't. No cheap law here. Right? This is. It is not. Now, go and try your best, and I'll accept that. It is not that. It is go and don't ever do anything wrong ever again. Now. Is that what any of us have done since being saved? No. Come on. No. Did salvation make you sinless? Well, no, but I mean, I try. I'm not sinless. Nobody's perfect, but I mean, I strive to be holy. If you cheat on your spouse... Under the law, you deserve to be stoned. Let's make it worse. If there is one thing in the universe that you can't do, just one, let's say, for the sake of illustration, it's a fruit on a tree. Okay? And you're not allowed, you can do, you can eat from any other tree. Let's say there's thousands of trees. Okay, And you can eat from any other tree, but you cannot eat the fruit from that one tree. Let's say you did that. What would the, what, what does, how does God respond to that little, little tiny, don't eat that fruit? Well, He plunges the entirety of humanity and history into the curse of death and hell in the grave. 
So let's stop with, let's, let, you know, let's, let's not try to clean this up to, you know, I, I try. You commit adultery under the law, you deserve to be stoned. That's how God views adultery. You should die if you do that. So do we really think a God that holy is impressed by what He calls filthy rags? Like, do we think that God is just going to take that? Oh, you didn't cuss for 20 years. Great. I'm not, don't go out and cuss. I'm not advocating cussing. My goodness, don't be at potty mouths. I'm just saying. Well, I mean, do, like, God is, God is so holy that one bite of a fruit He said not is, is the reason for death and sin and the curse. And we really think this little piddly, look what I did today, Jesus, is like gonna, well, you're so cute. I'll just let that, it's fine, it's fine. I'm holy, but you tried. Right? We're not bringing our pathetic little drawings to God and He's smiling and sticking them on His refrigerator up there. That's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with you sin, you die. Period. And you get punished for it for eternity. That's what we're dealing with here. Do we really think what we offer would be enough? Now, and if, if that's how we take this command, is that yoke easy? Is that burden light? Does go and sin no more if you take it that way, feel like Jesus is giving you rest? No. Is God really technically just grading on a slight curve? It might sound like He requires absolute perfection, but He doesn't. No, that's what He requires. So the cross is proof to the universe that the holiness of God will not be taken lightly. The cross is proof that the holy God will never lower the bar. Not ever. There's one thing that sufficiently absorbs God's wrath at sinners. So, beloved, Jesus did not leave her under a heavier threat than the stones of men, the stones of God, for not becoming holy enough. He didn't take her from one taskmaster and put her under another one, a harder one, It's not now that I've shown you mercy, be perfect. If that's the deal, nobody's getting in. Beloved, Jesus saves us from death. He does not subject us to its possibility. The perfect, righteous obedience that God required was given to Him on behalf of all who believe by Jesus and Jesus Christ alone at the cross. He's telling her, don't go back to that guy. Don't go back there. This command forces her to keep looking to him to extend the same mercy over and over again. What does she do the next, what do you think she did the next time she sinned? She remembered. Go and sin no more. Right? I didn't save you once to kill you later. Stop going back to that. 
Jesus is her Savior. Jesus is her shepherd. Jesus is her very protective and able older brother. And do you know what else Jesus is to her? Her husband, who betrothed himself to her in love. Why get up from salvation then and go back to bed with that man? Why go back to the life you lived that almost got you killed? Why go back? No, go and live free. I've saved you. You don't ever have to go back there again. Only human beings would take that last sentence as a finger in her face. Now, don't you ever mess up again. Does that, does that go at all? It's not what salvation from God's wrath is. That's not what salvation from God's wrath is. Why are we under it in the first place? Because we are sinners who are bankrupt of any righteousness God will accept. Not even if we try to get that righteousness by obeying or trying really hard to obey the law of Moses. Because if righteousness were to be gained by following the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Galatians 2.21 So that's not the way in before or after. If there's another way in here, Jesus didn't have to die. Heaven would then be reserved for only the best of the best, but it isn't. It's reserved for adulterous women caught in the act. Oh, what a scandal. Unless Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this is exactly where he was going to be anyway then it's only a scandal if you call God unjust and scandalous. What Jesus accomplished at the cross is full forgiveness of all our sins by His blood and the credit of the righteousness that made His blood holy and acceptable to God to our account, which was proven to be holy when God raised Him from the dead. It was our sins that Jesus died for, not His This story means that our only hope for salvation is the blood and righteousness of Jesus, who is both the only one sinless enough to punish us and the only one able and willing enough to die for us instead. So, who am I this morning? Who are we as we look at this text? Who am I when I read the Bible? Like I'm her. And I'm her a thousand times over. Christians are not people who stand by the sinners of the world with rocks just waiting for God to give the green light. We are the people who cower in the dirt of our own filth and moral bankruptcy, shielded, shielded from God's just and holy wrath by the willing arms of Jesus who wrapped them around us at Calvary when the rocks fell from heaven. This is Jesus Christ. This is our Savior. This is what He does. And everyone who can hear my voice right now, whether it's in this room, whether it's on the internet later, Jesus Christ still shields. Jesus Christ still covers us from the rocks. His arms will continue to embrace you and me, sinners all. So come. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe on Him. We think Jesus only saves the ones that have potential 
that He only saves the ones who don't look as bad as the other ones. No, Jesus saves the utterly overwhelmed. That's who He saves. Those that cannot hope to hide their guilt. So lay down your delusions of perfection. Lay down the sweat of your own brow. Give up your belief that He would never accept the likes of you or that He would love to accept the likes of you. God accepts Jesus on behalf of the adulterer and the preacher because they're one and the same. So come. Jesus is here this morning for those overwhelmed by the guilt their sin demands, for those overwhelmed by their inability to measure up. And there's no one like Him. You'll find no one like Jesus. None so pure, none so loving, none so merciful, none so gracious, none so kind, none so constant as Jesus. Come to Him. Hear the stones drop. Amen. The front is open this morning. So we're about to sing. Come and pray if you need to. If you want to, I'll be here. Jesus will not turn away anyone who comes to Him. Anyone. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for the truth Your Word proclaims. God, I thank You for Your mercy, Your love displayed to us while we were yet sinners. It's then that Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for the cleaned up version of us. He died for the sinful version of us. The real us, not the one we portray. The real us. So Father, we find our hope in You. We find our identity in You. And so, Father, I pray that every person in the room this morning would be able to know by the witness of Your Holy Spirit to their own souls that they belong to You, Father. And if they don't, I pray that they would believe on You. I pray, Lord, that You would save this morning and that You would have Your way. And I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.